Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me on this Thursday. Once again, as always, it's the 6th of the 6th, 6th of June that is. Hard to believe we're already almost halfway through the year. Not quite halfway through the F1 season, but, you know, we're kind of getting there anyway. We've got a lot of races to come in the next uh, month and a half, um, all the way to the end of July. So, a lot to play out in this championship yet, and we're off to Montreal this week for the Canadian Grand Prix, a popular one as always, and going to be talking about that. Uh, MotoGP as well later, we had a ripper of an Italian Grand Prix at Mugello, um, and just a bit about what's gone on so far this year, and also State of Origin too, so what a game last night, the first of the uh, three-game series in Australian Rugby League, Queensland versus New South Wales, probably one of the best sporting contests in the world um, as far as rivalries are concerned, so very intense and intense and hardcore that one is, but Let's go straight into the F1, and uh, yeah, round seven of the 2019 championship, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, a popular race, I guess, just because Montreal is such a cool city, and I've always had um, had a desire to go there, I've been to Canada before, but not to Montreal, so um, that'll be one to tick off soon, hopefully, and also, if it's around the time of the Grand Prix as well, that would be a... Um, that would be an added bonus. So yeah, Mercedes arriving as undefeated, you know, as an undefeated team so far this year, and it's one of Lu- one of Lewis Hamilton's favourite tracks too. He's won six times. Can he potentially uh, make it seven this weekend? That's going to be the big question. And I didn't even realize this this is sort of the speed of how things have gone on so far in 2019 in the f1s in the f1 championship is that lewis hamilton's already won four races out of six so you know that's how strong he's been i mean he doesn't have such a huge lead in the championship over valtteri bottas because bottas has been consistently there on the podium with him but yeah to already have four wins under his belt that's just um incredible so you know all those people talking about how he might eclipse Michael Schumacher's record of wins overall, 91 that Schumacher set in his career. You know, Hamilton, he said that he wants to keep racing or he can keep racing for another five years. That was um, uh, one of those interviews he did with David Letterman, sorry, um, for Letterman's Netflix show. So I've only started watching that show in its entirety. So probably good idea to get onto it it's pretty good so far seen interviews with Barack Obama and um, George Clooney but then you get people like Kanye West Jay-Z's on there as well and then Lewis Hamilton so some good names in that mix um, on that show sorry so do check it out not trying to not trying to plug it or anything but yeah it's a pretty good show on Netflix if you have it but going back to yeah Hamilton and Canada he's had an affinity with this track he's set a number of records here you know he I think he could center's pole position record here a couple of years ago as well and that was where he was honored with the um, a replica of center's helmet or I think it might have been the actual one of his um, race-worn helmets that he was presented by this on behalf of the center family so um, special track for Hamilton this one but last year it was Ferrari who won the race with Sebastian Vettel the reigning race winner and of course we don't need to talk about it 
much more than saying that, yeah, they've not won a race so far in 2019, so can they turn their advantage, um, sorry, not advantage, can they turn their fortunes around this weekend? Um, a lot of long straights there, multiple straights too, so could that sort of assist Ferrari with their power advantage? Potentially not, given that, you know, the DRS is quite handy this year, and if, you know, they get ahead, then Mercedes could potentially just sneak up behind them, use the DRS and get back ahead. So I think it's going to be one of those things where, you know, you'll tell by qualifying if Ferrari can do the job or not. Um, but yeah, Vettel's not been too great here in Canada. He's only had two wins in all of uh, his career so far. And you look at those venues where he's cleaned up wins um, when he was at Red Bull, so he only won here once, of course, with Red Bull, and now once with Ferrari, I think of 2011 all the time, when thinking of Canada, where um, after four hours with the rain interruption, Vettel on the final lap just decides to drop to drop it um, and spin, and letting Jensen Button through to, to win that one. So that was good memories for that, <laughs> especially having stayed up to watch the whole race. And, you know, even with the four hours or the couple of hours in between delayed with the rain, it was a good uh, rewarding outcome in the end. A bit of grumblings as well, or rumblings, rumblings, grumblings, whatever, <laughs> um, uh, around during the week about Sebastian Vettel and um, his future potentially, you know, talking about how he could possibly hang up the helmet at the end of this year um, and retire just, you know, due to, uh, due to a lack of motivation or something. I mean, that would, of course, be quite sad given that, you know, the, how many years he still theoretically has ahead of him. He's not very old you know, I think not even 30 yet, so the fact that, yeah, that that would be making the rounds, like, you know, if it, when you think about F1 rumours and whatnot, if it is, you know, squashed and not talked about um, after less than a week, then, you know, you know it's probably, probably not going to be true, but the fact that I think it's been since Monaco, this has had some traction, so almost two weeks now, where it's uh, constantly being repeated, um, potentially there could be a bit of merit to it, so we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, you know, he's still got a deal with Ferrari to keep racing on, and I guess that inspiration or that um, that desire was for Sebastian to at least win a championship with them before, before he bows out, whether, you know, that can be achieved now, given that Ferrari have sort of gone backwards a couple of steps this year, with how they are performance-wise, it's a bit of a bit of a disappointment. So at the same time, you wouldn't be surprised if he decides to hang up the helmet if he doesn't want to, um, if he doesn't have the motivation and inspiration to go around one more time and potentially have the same result. But you know, you're losing a pretty classy driver as a result because you know he's a four-time world champion, multiple race winner, and to have another. You know, we lost Fernando Alonso, of course, last year, um, deciding to retire. So to have Vettel bow out as well would be quite disappointing. So we'll wait and see. I mean, we're not even halfway through the year yet. Um, Championship-wise, you know, theoretically or realistically, it doesn't look possible for them at this stage unless they went on some kind of incredible run. But, yeah, you'd hope that they can get back in the winner's circle sometime soon. Um 
Leclerc, Charles Leclerc, how does he fare this weekend? Because Monaco was horrible. It was a complete disaster. It was his home team, you know, the, uh, sorry, home race. And, you know, whether his trust in the team is shaken a little bit with the strategy calls that he's had over the last few races. I mean, Baku was a nightmare as well. And then Monaco. So how does he come at this track, you know, where... What did he do last year? I think he might have scored points. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's crucial that they get some good results and to be on the podium as well. So, so far, Leclerc's only had the one podium this season, which was Bahrain. Uh, Elsewhere, he's just, yeah, sort of been in that fifth position a lot. Um, So, fifth, not the greatest, I guess, considering this is a car that could potentially be on the podium a lot more but then again Red Bull uh, ahead of him at this stage I mean just looking at how um, how they drove the last couple of races Barcelona definitely Red Bull were quicker Monaco if it wasn't for that penalty to Verstappen then you know Verstappen would have been on the podium and Sebastian Vettel would have finished third so um, yeah to have Red Bull ahead of Ferrari at this moment not what we would have been expecting at the start of the year and speaking of Red Bull um, last year Verstappen had a podium in Montreal first uh, podium result for him but um, looking at the other side of the garage, Pierre Gasly probably under a lot of pressure to try and um, get a better result. He's sort of been hanging around that fifth or sixth place. You know, if Leclerc isn't in fifth, then Gasly might take it. Otherwise, Gasly's been uh, sixth so far. So, you know, you look at their car at the moment, it's somewhere that, you know, you could finish further up. But, you know, whether Gasly just can't keep up with the other guys or hasn't adjusted to the team yet you know you'd think that given that he's been given the opportunity by Red Bull this year that he would step his game up but at the same time there's that whole question that comes back around of whether he was promoted a bit a year too early or something so you know that's sort of been you know another sword to sword for Red Bull to fall upon I mean they probably won't feel aggrieved by it at all apart from the fact that they have to potentially write off this year as being uh, something unsuccessful uh, a bit of unsuccessful yeah bit of an unsuccessful one for the um, second side of the garage and then we had that rumor or whatever you want to call it come out after Monaco that Red Bull were potentially eyeing off um, Nico Hulkenberg to replace uh, Gasly next year in that car so we'll wait and see how that one pans out another one on the silly season spectrum already starting so we'll see how they go but um moving it back up anyway Bottas he has been solid here every year since 2015 on the podium uh so that was you know a few years at Williams and then ever since he's come to Mercedes and even just when he started in F1 as well when you look at uh 2013 he qualified on the front row I think it was in that Williams Renault which was not very which is not very competitive, so in the wet conditions he was quite strong, so don't rule Bottas out of potentially being in the chance for a win here either. In the midfield then, um, McLaren, Carlos Sainz on a good run at the moment, so targeting what could be a fourth straight points finish. Um, there was always a question marker about um, around them whether they have a car to tackle low-speed corners like in Monaco, but then you know they did end up scoring points in Monaco, with science so you know they should potentially do the same here and whether 
they're going to be hurt by their speed deficit with the Renault engine. So coming up against cars like the Haas with the Ferrari engine, um, Renault as well, the factory team, whether they can actually convert. So their drivers both have a good record here. Um, Nigga Hulkenberg's been no lower than eighth here since 2013. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, of course, a previous race winner here. So, you know, those guys will rely on their experience around here, if anything. And, you know, they had a decent result um, last time out in Monaco. So you'd hope that they could convert here too. But, yeah, you know, McLaren sort of on the up at the moment. Um, you know, I'm not getting ahead of myself by saying this, and I wrote this in an article during the week as well, that uh, McLaren really have been the most improved team so far this year from last year. Um, they've finally got what they want as far as, you know, a leadership structure is concerned, a management structure as well, which Zach Brown talked about, you know, how he feels like they're emulating Mercedes um, as far as, you know, having the right people in place and potentially building towards something. So, you know, we had Andreas Seidel come on board as well earlier this year um, to take over that team principal role. They've got James Key. They brought him over from from Toro Rosso as their chief designer. Then you've got Andreas Stella, who's been promoted as well. He's been there for a few years now since um, leaving Ferrari. And then, of course, you've got guys like Gilles de Ferran and Zach Brown still there as well with their leadership capacity. So, you know, setting up that structure finally, I guess, clearing out the old house and starting fresh, you know, they've got, they were criticised for, I guess, bringing in two unproven drivers as such, you know, Carlos Sainz, he's been around for a few years now, but Lando Norris, another rookie, being brought in the first McLaren lineup to not have a race winner in it since I think the mid 90s. So, yeah, you know, a lot of risks for McLaren, but I guess finally seeing these risks pay off is quite important. And both Andreas Seidel and Zach Brown have talked about 2021 potentially being their year that they sort of make that next step so you know where they're at now is good you know being you know top of the midfield on points as it is at the moment but whether they can sustain that throughout the whole season now and also be laying down the platform for what is to come in the future I think is going to be really important so no it's really positive to see McLaren um, at the moment doing well in the sense that they're scoring points consistently they're not at that low that they were, you know, over the last few years. But in 2019 itself, I guess the big test for them is to see whether uh, they can sustain this development and not let the other teams get ahead of them, where, you know, last year we saw them after the mid-season point or even after Barcelona, where, you know, up until Barcelona they were strong, but then after Barcelona when they had these upgrades that sort of took them the wrong way, they just dropped off completely. So, you know, if they don't have that happen this time round, then it's going to be really good for them to potentially even be in that fourth. If they can hold up to fourth for the rest of the year, that would be great. But more likely you'd see them in uh, fifth or sixth. And then you look on the other side of the pond where Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen believe that Haas still has the fourth fastest car. So, you know, their results don't suggest that so far this season. And results, I guess, I guess are the ultimate currency when it comes to F1. So... Um, or any motorsport, as a matter, matter of fact. So they're going to have to start getting some results to be able to to vindicate that statement. But at the moment, you know, McLaren, because they're delivering the results, and then 
behind them racing point even though they haven't had um, their you know fully new spec car on the track this year that they still they seem to still be doing a lot better as far as consistently scoring the points and for racing point to Lance Stroll his home race this time so um, hopefully a good result is going to come their way in that instance and return a return for Robert Kubica to the circuit where he won his first and only race in F1 back in 2008 so Canada's always been one of those um, up and down venues for Kubica of course the year before he had that horrible crash and then 2008 he came out took the win for BMW Sauber so what's going to happen this time round in um, in Montreal sorry for Kubica it's going to be difficult of course you know with Williams being where they are but you know one thing you've got to give to Williams is the fact that they've actually consistently finished the races so far you know they've not had any retirements or DNFs um, they'll finish you know two laps down or whatever but they've been reliable which is I guess more important you know it's quite important for them in that context context because it means they're not wrecking the car or you know they've uh, been involved in the incident so good on Williams for that but um, you've got to hope that they've got some improvements coming soon because you can't expect them to just continue hanging around at the back of the grid for the rest of the year unfortunately you know it would be quite sad if they end the year without scoring any points it's a long season so you would expect them not to given how much can happen in a year you know, as far as incidents and, you know, probably a big um, big race in Brazil or something like that where the weather's real crazy. So, yeah, you know, I wouldn't expect them to just not finish in the points this year. But, you know, if they do make it to the end of the year without putting any points on the board, it's going to be quite, um, it's going to look quite terrible for them. So, yeah, that's about it for Canada. We'll see how that one pans out. I'm kind of glad we've got a public holiday on Monday morning. So, you know, the 4 a.m. race start doesn't seem too bad. You know, you don't have to back it up with any um, work duties or anything like that. So it's going to be a, a, a nice cruisy weekend, um, hopefully, and some Grand Prix action to go with it. Um, right, so moving from four wheels to two wheels now. So MotoGP, the Italian Grand Prix last weekend was a was a just excitement machine. You know, it was a thriller of a race. Special weekend for Ducati, of course. You know, with a very sick Danny uh, Danilo Petrucci winning his first ever Grand Prix, and you know, this is off the back of. Um, you know, this is off the back all the speculation about his future, you know, talking about how he potentially may have to give up that seat next year at the factory Ducati team for Jack Miller, who's at the Primax squad waiting, you know, Danilo Petrucci only on a one-year deal and, you know, talk about having him having to get results to be able to keep his seat and to come out and put in that performance, I guess it's the best possible thing you could have done. So, you know, congratulations to Petrucci on that. And someone who's a very likable figure in the MotoGP paddock, from what I hear as well, you know, he's, he's the nice guy and, you know, no one has anything bad to say about him either. And he's, he's quite the character when you see him on the TV as well. So, you know, a good result all up. The whole race itself felt like it was some kind of Moto3 race where you had up to five riders in contention for the win. They pretty much stayed all together till the end of the race where you had Petrucci, Marc Marquez and Andrea Davizioso break away and they ended up finishing in that order too. So 
Petrucci, of course, saying sorry after the uh, race about hanging Dovi out to dry. Um, they all came in three abreast into San Donato, which is the first corner. It's a, it's a bloody amazing track, is uh, Mugello just going over the rise. And I know they talked about pre-race potentially um, flattening that rise on the run to turn one because of how fast you go in there. Like, you know, well over three... 350 k's an hour on a bike and then break for the first corner so but it's a spectacle to watch so it's pretty cool and with those three guys going three abreast into that first corner Davizioso came out a bit came out on the wrong end a bit sandwiched between Petrucci and Marquez and um, you know he ended up losing two places as a result so fell back to third which wouldn't help his championship uh, challenge but you know Petrucci did say that he will help from now on in that title bid for Davizioso wherever he can. So, you know, Petrucci, a good team player as well in that instance when you look at the championship as a whole. And because of, you know, Davizioso falling falling back to third, Marquez leads the championship by 12 points and Alex Rins, who finished fourth in the end, couldn't quite keep up with that leading uh, trio. Uh, perhaps too far behind now in the championship unless he gets a few good results, wins a few races, because that's all it's going to take is is winning races and, you know, finishing ahead of Mark Marquez, you know, and maximising those weekends. So, you know, Davizio, so, sorry, Petrucci, who unfortunately isn't in the championship battle, you know, he was able to get the better of Marquez this weekend, you know, and actually beat him on track, even though he had one of the worst colds, colds imaginable, he couldn't even speak, you know, when you heard him in the press conferences and um, in the interviews. So, you know, the fact that he had the energy or lack of energy to ride that bike and to actually win the race as well is truly um, something <laughs> amazing. Um, we had Taka Nakagami finish top five, um, I think, for the first time this season. So, and to be the top independent rider as well. So, Good result for him on the Honda, um, the LCR Honda, and he's ninth in the standings, so pretty good to see from um, from him this year in his second season with uh, Honda and in MotoGP as well, so both he and Cal Crutchlow in the top 10 in the championship. Now, I don't know where to... I could talk about this in a whole different podcast, you know, a whole other episode and dedicate the whole episode to it, but, you know, you can only sum up... Uh, Magello for Valentino Rossi as being a disastrous home Grand Prix, kind of like what happened with Charles Leclerc. So having no speed whatsoever, you know, no speed on the straight in particular, given that, you know, the KTM, I think it was Paul Espargaro or might have been his brother Aleish on the Aprilia who, who rode past during practice and said that it looked like that that's how slow that the Yamaha was that, you know, it just looked like he was stopped in the middle of the track as the other bike went past. So... You know, for Rossi, he started way back anyway. He came together with Juan Mir on the Suzuki and just then fell off his bike, didn't finish the race, so would have uh, broke the hearts of many Italians over the weekend, um, usually for his home race. You know, they're all out in force as the, the Rossi fan club, so it would have been a sad result or a sad sight to see anyway. But where to begin with, you know, what's going on at Yamaha at the moment? Um, it felt like that they might have turned a leaf over for this season after last year where they only had the one win all up. Um, that was Maverick, Maverick Vinales at Phillip Island. But no, so far this year they haven't looked anywhere near um, 
winning a race or even just sustaining a challenge to be on the podium. So, you know, I think we've had Rossi on the podium once this year. Same for Vinales um, as well. You know, I think that was back in Jerez. He was there on the rostrum. So, you know, Vinales was sixth in the end at Mugello, but just didn't seem like he was in that battle with the lead group. So, you know, unimpressive year so far. And then, of course you sort of start getting that speculation and that silly season talk about whether Yamaha might look towards Fabio Quattararo, who's been quite good so far this year, to potentially step up. Um, you know, Quattararo, I would have said, would have been a long-term or mid-term replacement after Valentino Rossi decides to retire, whether he'll do it at the end of his current contract, which goes into next year as well. But what if Rossi decides to retire early as a result of, uh, you know, what if Rossi decides to retire early because of Yamaha's current predicament and, you know, Quattararo anyway is doing much better on the um, on the customer Yamaha bike instead of the factory, instead of the factory one. You know, they, they the Petronas SRT team looks so much better than the factory team at the moment. You know, again, qualifying really well, but just dropping back during the race, both Quattararo and um, Franco Morbidelli. So, you know, you just have to weigh it up. Um, Vinales, I've always thought he's been a, a solid rider, and we saw that at the start of last year where, you know, he, or was it the year before where he won, I think, you know, three of the first five races or something like that, or three of the first six, and was definitely a championship contender. And then, just Yamaha in general just dropped down so I guess it's all about getting that bike back up to competitiveness before they can talk about the riders I'm sure Vinales if he had a competitive bike could be will be stronger Rossi we know his talent we know how strong he is so it's all comes down to the bike that they're riding and at the moment the Yamaha is a complete um, animal kind of like what Ducati was a few years ago before we saw them be thrust into championship contention by Davizioso. So before they decide talking about, um, you know, before they start talking about replacing riders or going with a new lineup, sacking somebody, I think they've got to get their bike up to scratch first and um, get them back to a competitive position because Vinales, we know, is solid. You know, that time he was with Suzuki, he took Suzuki from, you know, Freshly having come back into MotoGP to actually um, winning races. Well, he won one race for them and was quite regularly on the podium. So we know that Vinales is a is a solid guy, a solid rider. So I wouldn't want to uh, get rid of him just yet if I were Yamaha. And Rossi, you know, just depending on when Rossi decides to retire. I mean, as I said, it could be at the end of this year, which would be quite, uh, quite disappointing because you would have liked to have seen him at least go out on a on a winning note so um that's kind of where it's at with Yamaha at the moment they've got to really turn their fortunes around you know it starts with their bike and it's going to end with the riders actually getting the results when they've got competitive machinery also having an un a very uninspiring year so far is Jorge Lorenzo you almost forget that he's on the grid is what I sort of feel when watching MotoGP this year because you know, he's on the Honda, the factory Honda, with Mark Marquez as his teammate. You know, Marquez obviously winning that, winning with that bike and is on top of the championship. But 
Lorenzo, he's not even had a top 10 finish yet this year. So, you know, is it going to take the same amount of time for him to adjust to the Honda that it did with the Ducati for him a couple of, well, last year? Because it took a year and a half for him to be able to get into a competitive position on that bike. So you would have thought that the Honda is a bit of an easier beast to adapt to. And, you know, so far he hasn't shown that. So... Yeah, for a, a world champion, a multiple world champion in the MotoGP class to sort of been floundering, floundering around outside the top 10, um, it is pretty, it's a pretty galling prospect, but, you know, it's not like the competition is lacking for it, given that um, at the front of the field, we've got Davizioso, we've got Marquez, we've got Alex Rins as well, and don't forget, you know, Danilo Petrucci now, you know, adding his name to the race winners list so you know it would be great to have someone like Lorenzo back up there but at the same time you know it's not like MotoGP is looking poorer because he isn't there of course you want him up there you want Rossi up there as well but at the moment given the circumstances it's not possible so you'd hope though that Lorenzo could turn it around um Lorenzo could turn it around pretty quickly given how he did last year with Ducati but then again that was a whole year and a half worth of uh, work to get him to that stage but yeah you'd you'd want him to sort of uh, get there sooner this time rather than wait until um, the middle of next year to do so and speaking of Honda and legends even um, we had Aussie uh, champion Mick Doohan celebrated his 60th birthday earlier in the week as well and um, just brought up this stat as well which is kind of daunting in a way because uh, Doohan's the all-time race winner aboard a Honda in MotoGP um, and Mark Marquez only is eight wins behind Doohan now so the fact that this guy is not even 30 yet or anywhere near 30 Marquez and he's already almost eclipsed uh, Doohan's record of wins for Honda in total so uh, I think 54 wins is the total for Doohan so Marquez only eight off it at the moment he's going to be there potentially at the end of this season if he uh, goes on a run or something so watch this space as far as uh, Marquez getting that record is concerned and even then targeting a sixth MotoGP championship all up as well so he's not going to be far off uh, catching Rossi in that instance for the seventh um, if he wins this year so we'll leave that at that for MotoGP exciting as always to see them race and next time out we've got Barcelona and then uh, the Dutch race as well in Assen is always a classic to watch as well so let's move it on keep going and moving over to football or you know you wouldn't a lot of people wouldn't call this football but anyway it's it's footy to me so state of origin the rugby um you're playing with a ball and you, it involves kicking so it involves your feet <laughs> so it is football in a way we had the um all exciting first game last night at suncorp stadium all the talk is now over and queensland sealed the win over new south wales 18 to 14 fierce contest as always and you know it sort of looked at the start that, yeah, New South Wales have got this because Queensland, they had a, a slow start. They bombed about three tries or maybe even four try, uh, four try attempts in the first half and it was looking pretty dire for them at the um, end of the first 40 minutes, so zip and eight. But then 
uh, second half, we saw you know them come out, go on a run, and were unstoppable. And New South Wales were the ones left scratching their heads. So, uh, sort of a breaking down the game a little bit now. And you know it was the veteran Josh Morris who put New South Wales on the board in the first half. Return from retirement for him, of course, answering the uh, the SOS call from Coach Fittler. But um, after that, they sort of went into defence mode and they really shut tried to shut down Queensland given the fact that they had those attempts those try attempts but they were bombed of course you know I think the best attempt was uh that run that Cam Cameron Munster got and um went you know pretty much the length of the field a uh, bit of an early pass though to Will Chambers his Melbourne Storm teammate who then was tackled uh, could get the ball over to Dane Gagai um, on that edge, so was unable to to score in that instance. And there was a couple of other attempts. Dylan Napper, of course, getting in there, uh, could get the ball down when it bobbled. And um, Corey Oates as well just had his foot on the uh, the sideline when he put the ball down on his edge. So, you know, a few attempts going awry for Queensland, and you know, New South Wales just really grinding it out and try to prevent them from scoring. But, um, you know, I guess as a team, you know, not all their players were in the greatest of form. Uh, they weren't in the greatest of form. So, you know, Latrell Mitchell, of course, he was sinbid during the second half, but um, he didn't really get into the game. Neither of the halves, you know, Cody Walker, Nathan Cleary uh, got into the game either. Well, Cody Walker didn't, but Nathan Cleary I keep saying clearly when I'm supposed to say Cleary. Um, Nathan Cleary didn't really make much of an impact either, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. There was a lot of pressure on him anyway coming into this game, given that he hasn't been in greatest of form for his team, Penrith, and it was almost just down to loyalty. Well, it was down to loyalty that he got picked in the team anyway. So off that, you know, you might even see some changes in the second game for New South Wales. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do, but then they've got to, you know, at the same time, get that their combinations right. Of course, they were sort of hampered by injuries coming into this game anyway. You know, their first choice picks for certain positions unavailable due to injury. So, you know, the big one was Luke Keary, of course, you know, unable to make a claim for Origin this year, given that he was the form halfback 5'8 in the first half or quarter of the season so far and his combination with Cody Walker could have potentially been great or even Adam Reynolds with Cody Walker so having you know three quarters of your spine as part of uh, your three quarters of your spine as the South Sydney players with Damien Cook of course in the hooker position so you know there's going to be a lot of questions asked as far as that concerned but no questions asked I guess about New South sorry about Queensland you know all the scrutiny that was being applied to Kevy Walters before the game his coaching methods you know the the ban on saying New South Wales as well you know try to galvanize his team and then of course Daly Cherry Evans as the captain as well um, he probably not every Queenslander's favorite player but the fact that he sort of brought this team together this new team of course now with all those retirements out of the way of the old brigade and also the uh, the previous era that he could start his own era and his combination with Cameron Munster of course was uh, quite good in that game so you know you could expect more from them and even Ben Hunt you know Ben Hunt who talks about how the hooker position is not his favorite but you know he really played one of his best games uh, I think 
uh, watching him in that number nine jersey for Queensland last night. So great to see that. So quickly, I didn't even talk about the second half. So yeah, Corey Oates getting the first try for Queensland in the second half and then a double from Dane Gagai who has 11 tries now in 11 games of origin. So it always seems that in origin time that he really um, brings his A game and just is excellent, you know, scores all the time. He's exciting to watch. So, you know, I think, yeah, he'll go down again in the next couple of games. You know, his efforts is what's probably going to win Queensland the series. He had almost, you know, 280 metres, I think it was, he ran in the game. So, you know, just solid uh, player from all aspects is Dane Gagai. So expect um, some big things. And moving over to game two in Perth, you know, neutral venue too. So pressure's going to be on both teams, you know, to, you know, Queensland will want to get the job done, not have to go back to ANZ Stadium in Sydney to to play the decider, or, you know, in New South Wales, they've got to actually win to keep the series alive, heading back to their home ground in, in Sydney to be able to win back-to-back um, titles, and I don't think New South Wales have won back-to-back state of origin competitions for a long time now, I think it would have been early 2000s if... Uh, if anything, so, you know, it's a lot a lot of pressure riding on them, but personally, I wouldn't like to see them change too much, I think they've just got to stick with what they've got, you know, you don't want to, as I said last week, you don't want another case of Mitchell Pearce on your hands with uh, Nathan Cleary, you know, you just got to sort of trust in him and give him the confidence to be able to come out, but then again, they're already talking about setting out an SOS to Mitchell Pearce anyway, so, you know, this is how Origin works, and New South Wales, I guess, uh, the old habits haven't yet died with them, even though that they've, uh, they, you thought they turned a leaf last year with Fittler and his new group of coaches, and you thought you would have thought that loyalty, and uh, you know, loyalty would be a big thing, but also building uh, a whole new culture within the group. You know, as much as um, you know, there's going to be talk about Nathan Cleary. Uh, if by chance, you know, Luke Keary is fit, you know, if Adam Reynolds is in good form as he's been so far this season, then it would be sad to leave Cleary out, but potentially, you know, if they have to, to, to win the series, and they do, it can be justified. But, you know, Cleary, to me, seems like a long-term player. It's just that his confidence this year has been down because of, you know, the team that he's playing for in the NRL. It's just... They're just currently bombing it at the moment. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to rub Cleary out for good. But at the same time, I guess that's sort of the the price or the the un, uh, unfortunate consequence, you could call it, of picking a player so young, uh, picking a player so young to debut on this big stage. And, you know, obviously there's going to be times where they don't play as well and it's how they get managed through that time that's the big thing so you know that's where I guess New South Wales went wrong with Mitchell Pearce and you know there was a lot of controversy around it and as a result at the moment he's playing really well for Newcastle and I think that's sort of why he's turned his back a little bit on New South Wales he'd rather not bother with them at the moment but uh, really stay committed to what he's doing at um uh, you know, stay true to what he's doing over there at Newcastle at the moment. So, um, 
yeah, that's all I can say really with, with New South Wales as far as a selection standpoint goes. But then again, you know, we've got two and a half weeks until I think till the second game. So um, there's going to be a lot of thinking and then, you know, a couple of NRL games as well to, to play through four players to find some form and see how uh, the team shapes up. Queensland, I reckon they'll probably stay unchanged, you know, if I guess who's been injured that they've been looking to get, um, you know, you wouldn't get McCulloch, you wouldn't get Andrew McCulloch back in there. You'd keep the spine as it is, you know, Ponga was solid, Monster Cherry Evans, and then of course, uh, of course, Ben Hunt. But, you know, potentially bring in someone like a Kyle Felt, you know, even into the setup, play him, uh, you know, have him as the 18th man or something. So, have him there, you know, Moses and Bai, unfortunately, nothing, I don't think he even played last night, um, I can't even remember, unless he did, because that's how low impact he is, so in the number 14 jersey, I think his selection was a bit confusing, so perhaps then, uh, perhaps New South Wales should uh, reconsider that, but otherwise, you know, they've got a solid lineup. Oh, sorry, Queensland, otherwise they've got a solid lineup and, um, yeah, there's not much I would change in that uh, in that team. So um, that's probably about it for today. Um, had the NBA on, and um, Toronto now two up in the series, uh, two one up uh, against Golden State. So in the um, NBA Finals. So I guess for any neutral fan wanting someone other than Golden State to win, that would have been pleasing to see. And they're playing at Golden State too. But unfortunately for the Warriors, they've you know, they didn't play Clay Thompson today and also Kevin Durant's still out with that injury. So, you know, you'd hope that uh, with those guys coming back potentially that there'd be uh, odds-on favourites to win. But um, other than, otherwise, you know, they could potentially uh, see the title go to Toronto, which wouldn't be a bad thing, I'd say. I'd actually like to see someone different win, you know. <laughs> you talk about the F1 and Mercedes winning everything you know I think every code or every league in the world or every competition has the one team that sort of is clearing uh, clearing um, clearing the competition at the moment and just really winning everything so yeah see how they go there so I think the next game's in a couple of days time so um, see if you know the Raptors can win another one on Golden State turf, or does uh, the series get leveled um, with the Warriors making a comeback? Also, Cricket World Cup, I mean, I might talk more about it next time, but yeah, you know, we've had the first couple of games so far, so um, South Africa have already lost three, so you could rule them out of semi-final contention. England upset by Pakistan, now that was awesome, that was really good to see, because, you know, Pakistan being written off and everything, but then um, they come and upset the competition favourites in England. Um, India on the board, they just played their first game against South Africa last night. They won, of course. Australia won their first game against Afghanistan, so they play, I think, West Indies tonight. So, you know, a lot of... There could be some surprises there, hopefully. So, you know, keep an eye out on the guys uh, like the West Indies, New Zealand as well, looking quite solid, and, you know, Pakistan, even though they've uh, won one and lost one. So, yeah, that's going to be really exciting, watching that for the rest of the month and into early next month. But, you know, I'm sure I'll talk more about it next time. So, 
hopefully you guys have a good week enjoy the long weekend if you get the monday um, as a public holiday here i know i will because uh, after four o'clock race um, i think i'll need some uh, extra shut eye so yeah other than that nothing more else and um, we'll see you guys next week take it easy